Welcome to Paint Radio with your host, Emily Howard and Andrew Dwyer. Yeah, Paint Radio. I'm Andrew Dwyer. Emily Howard is here. Emily, how are you? I'm great. Just let's keep it short. Michael Gushalak is our new marketing manager. Michael, how are you? Not doing too bad. <laughs> you must be so excited. Oh, very pumped. So many people would pay to be in this studio with us. Gushalak, that is a fictitious name if I've ever heard one. Y'all really haven't hired anyone over there. Game of Thrones. <laughs> so that is our guest for today. But before we introduce him, I have to ask, well, I guess I have to ask both of you. And my unnamed guest, you can also chime in. It's the Christmas season, the holiday season. And I am a very positive guy. But I'm going to ask a very negative question. What is your least favorite Christmas song? And the reason I'm going negative, because again, I love Christmas. Absolutely love it. I also love Christmas music. And so asking someone's favorite Christmas song is kind of boring. And I'm going to go ahead and go first just to give you guys some time to think. Because by the looks of your faces, you have absolutely no clue (laughs) what you're going to say. So, I will say, first of all, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer is not even a song. I think <laughs> that is created just to establish the basement, like, below which no other musician will go. That's just a hideous installment of Christmas. It's just horrible. So that doesn't even count. Among traditionally accepted Christmas songs, I will say that my least favorite, Feliz Navidad. It's cool for, like... Eight measures, and then, holy cow, <laughs> when is this going to end? I really don't like it at oh, all. What about 12 Days of Christmas? Do you like that oh, one? That one's my, a long one. It's, yeah, it's not my favorite, but I don't. it doesn't kill my spirit. Feliz Navidad does. Okay. I really don't like Jingle Bells. Interesting. Yeah, Sorry. there's probably not a lot to that. <laughs> it's probably the only song you could sing, <laughs> so you should like it. I hate that Trans-Siberian Orchestra Mannheim steamrolling. <laughs> you don't like the, yeah. Of course, the, okay. the awful 1980s keyboard synthesized crap. However, that made it into a classic catalog is beyond me. I think it's awful, and they should quit playing it. Wow. Okay, as yet unnamed guest, that is a bold uh, suggestion because their most popular one is Carol of the Bells. Had a delicious appearance on The Office where Dwight air guitared that song. It was tremendous. <laughs> Hey, I'm not going to criticize anybody's now, choice. I don't like, I don't dislike all of it, but there's like one in particular. It's like, wah, 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 wah. Yeah, I, I get can it. duck and womp it for you here, but let's just leave some mystery there. Are you not a ZZ Top fan, unnamed guest? I like ZZ Top. They've got one song arranged 15 different ways. It's not bad. <laughs> okay, Michael. We have stalled long enough. What is your answer? Uh, I think I'm going to go with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer on this one. That's a solid choice. Yeah. Pretty bad. There's a lot of bad Christmas songs out there. <laughs> Do you have a history of sinus infections or anything that traumatized you as a child? Random question, <laughs> unnamed guest. I was just thinking, you know, maybe the red nose elicited some kind <laughs> oh. of... Oh! <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tie it to, Tied to some childhood trauma. You know, it's like The Masked Singer, which is a show on network TV. I know Emily never watches network. She doesn't like to get dirty like that. But we're going to unmask our currently unnamed guest... If you haven't figured it out yet, that's Brandon Lewis of the Painters Academy. He's been on here before. He's a paint radio favorite. Brandon, thanks for putting up with us, man. Hey, I'm glad to be here. I don't get invited to uh, go many places or talk to people. So uh, 
<laughs> you and me both, usually, man. Usually spend my Christmases alone, uh, crying mainly. <laughs> so um, I'm just glad to be here. You hate all Christmas songs. I get it. I get it. So again, Brandon's been on Paint Radio before. Today, we're going to talk about how contractors can boost the commercial side of their business. This is a presentation that Brandon has done before. He didn't just wake up today and say, what the heck, let's talk about this. He's actually got a presentation planned for the annual PCA Expo, which is in February in beautiful Phoenix. And I don't know if we're going to be able to go through, I think it's a five-step process. Is that correct, Brandon? Yes. So we're going to touch on all five, but we're not going to be able to go into enormous detail on each five. Where did this idea come from? When did you originate this presentation? Obviously, I did it in my own painting business. Well, it's not obvious to people that don't know me, but I did it in my own painting business. Commercial was a big part of what we did. But over the years, about six years, I've had to teach how to get into commercial repaints. I believe that new construction is a terrible market for a variety of reasons. And so the repaint market is something everybody wants to get into. But after doing 1,031 in-depth assessments, I've discovered very few people have much work like this. And so we crafted a program to help people get this type of work with consistency. And originally, we just kind of had three phases. And I realized that there were two pretty important missing parts. And over the past maybe 18 months to 24 months, we have worked those in. And I think we've got a rather complete approach here. Okay. And... I'm also guessing that every contractor and every business has to be, not everybody can just dive into going after commercial accounts, right? Let's talk first. How do you predispose, pre-qualify your company that say, you know, I'm ready to take this step to try to acquire more professional, higher-end commercial clients? What type of attributes of your business do you need to have in place? Well, if somebody throws down a paintbrush and you don't know which end to pick it up by, Bad son. I love low um, bars. I do well with very low bars. Bad son. If you're lot broke, like can't pay the mortgage, uh, need some free advice on your last leg, probably still not a good market. It's a slow build, can be slow pay. There's a lot more hurdles to capture. So basically, the residential side of your business is in shambles, not profitable. Things aren't going well. You've been stuck at the same place for several years likely that we need to go back to chapter one or some kind of remedial top basic fundamentals for your business and then worry about getting into this market. Okay, then. The bar is lower than I expected, so that's that's good news <laughs> for, for everybody <laughs> listening. That's uh, that's good. But meaning you need to have a pretty well-running business before you begin to expand into this market, it right? Be, it needs to be stable and you need to have some discretionary time and some discretionary money. Not so much money for most of the steps on here, but you're definitely going to need time. You're going to have to be disciplined with your time in order to break into this market because there are some oddities to it that make it unique than almost anything else that any other market that people would target, which is why there are so few people that have a business that is built primarily of this type of work. You'll see people that are tons of residential new construction. You'll see people tons of commercial new construction or residential repaints. It is very, very rare that I encounter anyone who's built their business out of this type of work. Although if you survey people and ask them what they really wish they had, this is what they will tell you. So that goes to show you it's challenging. Okay. So what's step one? And are these steps sequential or you work on all five of them simultaneously? Or No, like I said? they would be pretty sequential. Okay. So the first thing is 
you're going to have to identify a list of people to go after if you want to think about this as step one. And you're going to have to run what I refer to as a multi-step, multimedia campaign to them. And the Dream 100 is picking that list of 100 folks. Most of what we do in the painting industry is really reactive. Somebody books a job, you got to get it done. Your email goes ding with a lead from your website, you've got to go see it. And it's constant reaction to external stimuli. And you're processing that, almost like an order taker, whereas going after commercial is all self-initiated and calendared. And if you don't do anything... Nobody sends you a nasty letter. Nobody writes you a bad review. Nobody complains. You just don't make any money. You just don't find that work. So it's completely different than anything else that is taught. And it's one of the most difficult things I have time teaching for that reason. So you got to put that list of 100 people together. And the things that I like to see people go after first is just searching online for commercial property managers. Their information is right out there because they have a sales function and they want to be found, which is good for you. Assisted living facilities, private schools, Marquee clients, if you know that there is a huge cube land type business, stories and stories of people sitting in cubes or large facilities that need to be painted, you know who your largest employers are, you can find those online. And then after that, if you do not have a 100 people to go after, maybe you're in a rural market, even if you've cobbled together a few local counties, then you're going to want to go to InfoUSA and look at buildings that are 40,000 square feet or larger purchase those lists, and then there's going to be a whole lot of narrowing down that you'll have to do. And once you get that list together, you're really going to go after them with mail, phone, email, texting, drop bys, networking to get a decision maker identified, which is the first step, which takes a lot of going past gatekeepers showing up. It takes a long time to build one of these lists. You can't just purchase it. And finally, you want to physically get in front of them. That's the aim of all of this activity, not to be put on a list, but to physically get in front of them as a major account salesperson would because they just don't believe you're real until they meet you. So if you find yourself in a situation where you don't know a lot of building owners and you do have to go to a group like InfoUSA where you have to purchase a list from them, if you're looking for 100 good leads, how many do you think you need to purchase from a list group like that? If you're going to get 100, I would probably purchase 200, 250, then that way when you narrow it down. There's all kinds of caveats once you get in there. Range of radius around a zip code, decision maker title, types of business and industry, like some things you'd want to cut out. For me, I would not want to go after any state-ran institutions. They tend to be a pain in the ass to deal with. Their margins are lower. The competition is higher. Uh, you might want to avoid it's sometimes good and sometimes bad chain stores. Although when I ran my business and lots of our guys, I painted probably 15 or 16 CVS pharmacies because they were right here in the area. Some people would have taken those off the list. I opted not to. So you really just have to kind of look at it and refine it down. But typically you can get about a third to sometimes, depending on your market, even a half filled up just through online search for specific niches and going through websites and the rest you can pick up through data aggregators. Now, the decision maker is never going to be correct, but, you know, at least it gets you the name, address, phone number and the building. And that's a good place to start. Saves you a lot of work. Okay. So if the goal is 100, I mean, that's a pretty sizable number. I'm guessing that gets you to sort of statistical significance. Is the goal, one, do you have a time frame like try to get that done within 30 days and two, should you wait before you start contacting those 100 until you've got the full 100, or can you start contacting them as you get them? You know, I always tell people in most situations, if I held a gun to your head... And it's said, happening. You don't have to... Emily yeah, does that all the time, man. 
That's how I get the reduced rates yep. on all my advertising. Um, <laughs> it's called the six shooter discount. <laughs> yeah, uh, me and Yosemite Sam. But at any rate, if I held a gun to your head, most people could get it done by lunch, but they never do. People drag their feet. I mean, wealth is attracted to speed. It is repelled by sloth and indecision. Once you decide to do something like this, just shave off about 20 IQ points and get it done. Move on to the next thing. Depends on when you want to get the work. So if you want to get the work soon, you got to get this stuff out the door soon. Okay. Step two. What's step two, Brandon? Step two. That's the one after the first step. (laughs) (laughs) Well, step two is you have to have a powerful persuasive selling process because you're going to finally, through all this work and effort, you're going to meet some decision makers in person. They're going to warm up to you. Occasionally, you will find a huge monster job that is about to be decided on and your timing is good. More often than not, they're going to give you some smaller jobs to make sure you can show up on time, not embarrass them, not create issues for their stakeholders or their direct reports. And so when you get that opportunity, if you have one of those pet the dog, talk about the bowling trophy, email it in sales systems, which is about 99% of our industry, you're going to lose to anybody who is not more expensive than you. And so you've got to have powerful tools, third-party proof, good processes, good presentations, great leave-behind material, tons of references, insurance, warranties, guarantees, background checks, certificates, so that you can build up a bunch of proof in pre-positioning, presenting, post-positioning, and follow-up. If not, you'll spend all your time going after Moby Dick, and then you find the thing, and like you can't get it in the boat. Because you just don't have the rig. And your sales system is like that. And so it does you very little good to chase all this work if you're not very persuasive in the sales department. Was that fast enough, Andrew? Dang! (laughs) You're basically saying if they call your bluff and they're like, okay, sounds good. Can you do X? Have you done Y before? You better have a reference ready. You better be ready to act on it. Well, you better be ready or you better at least be very good at making a mountain out of a molehill. And you have to do that when you break into new markets. Maybe you've only done two or three jobs. Well, let's get three separate reference letters. If you don't have it, put lots of before and after pictures of whatever you can find. I mean, sometimes you have to fake it till you make it. But more often than not, if people do a little research and look into their client list that they never communicate with, then they'll discover that they have done this type of work before, four or five projects a year. And there's lots of proof that can be gathered, even if it's after the fact. And there's lots of things that you can put into a persuasive sales process that doesn't have to do with having actually served commercial clients in the past. Because we have people that go after this work constantly that are very successful, that have very little experience in it. And closing on that, they know you paint houses. You don't have to hide it. And most of what really works in a good residential selling process will translate well into commercial. People always act like they're different people, which is idiotic, because I always ask them, well, where do they go at 5 o'clock? And everyone says they go home. I said, because they're homeowners. They're the same people. (laughs) They're no different. And so the same thing that makes them buy is what makes a commercial person buy with probably about 15% of additional concerns tacked on. So if I'm understanding correctly, if you don't already have a reference, right, this is your first commercial job that you're going after, you're using references from homeowners. Yes? You can, yeah. And it's not just references. I mean, people, when you look at surveys of what people care about, they worry about how do you background check and screen your painters. You can show that documentation in a variety of ways. It has nothing to do with commercial-specific work. What's your warranty? 
It has nothing to do with specific work. What's your guarantee? What types of references may you have or even a history of doing it? How long have you been in business? What's the biography of the owner? What do the crew members look like? What do your team looks like? What is your process or protocol for doing this? And even having really good diagnostic surveys that we teach our guys to use, if you sit across from someone and ask really smart questions off of a clipboard and shake your head, if you're dressed in a lab coat and you're in an office, they'll let you cut their heart out tomorrow, even if you're not a heart surgeon, because people can't tell the difference. Like, if you ask really good questions and shake your head, people assume you know exactly what you're talking about as long as you don't talk too much. And so those types of things, in addition to references and social proof, they're just part of it, but it's nice to have those if you can. So what does the sales package look like? Like how much of it is printed and handed to someone? How much of it is emailed beforehand? How much of it is not printed or emailed? It's just discussed. What do some of these things look like? So there's pre-positioning, presenting, post-positioning, and follow-up. And pre-positioning is what happens in advance. We like the phone to be answered in a specific way, intake surveys. They get emails and mail in advance of arrival. We're going to fulfill our promises, often text. We're going to show up. We have a whole process, outlines of how we open it up, diagnostic surveys, the audit, huge what we call a book of proof that's like a project leave behind book. It can be two or 300 pages. They don't get it permanently, but we believe in the preponderance of proof strategy. We want to show them so much proof that we are good at what we're doing that when Jose or Joe show up and they just email a PDF over, they compare those two experiences in their mind and they're like, holy cow, these guys are the safest bet. And so we don't believe in just digital. We don't believe in just analog. When it comes to being persuasive, it's almost always all of the above. Man, I love your presentation style, Brandon. You're a hoot, and you're also easy to listen to. So that's a double whammy. Thinking about your presentation style, it reminds me, you know, listeners who listen to Paint Radio, who read our e-newsletter, who get APC the magazine, they may have made the connection between you and the ads they've seen for the summit. You've got your conference coming up in January in Florida. I think this is a good time for you to tell us a little bit about that and how people can learn more. We have the, the what the hell is the name of it? I've been doing it for a long time. <laughs> it's the uh, Painting Profits Summit. It's in Fort Myers, Florida, last weekend of January, full weekend, the 23rd through the 25th. And the big thing that probably makes that event different, there's really three things. Number one, we limit the vendors to 16 and no more. So it's not a vendor fest. A lot of times you feel like there are more vendors than there are painters. We try to limit it. APC will be there. We will. Um, and uh, also, the presenters that are presenting are good at what they're presenting on, meaning I have firsthand knowledge of them making money, having succeeded in an area. So often, and this because I've been in my fraternity for years, my church for years, like if you just hang around and breathe long enough in a nonprofit organization, somebody will give you a role. That's just how it goes. You can't help it. I know they've got me leading worship music for the love of Pete. That just goes <laughs> to show you it's probably a bad idea. So when they speak, I know that they're speaking on something I have firsthand knowledge of that they're good at. And number two, we break up after lunch into peer groups so that you get to work with people within your sales range to fix your specific problems. So it's all about business, zero tech talk at all. Everybody knows how to put paint on a wall by now. If you don't, then probably shouldn't have started your business to begin with. And so that's pretty simple. So we just focus on the increasing income and reducing stress angle, the business end of the business. Nice. And can they get more info at paintersacademy.com or do you have a different website? Yeah, they go paintersacademy.com slash 2020 summit. Or if you just go to paintersacademy.com, there's a little box that says 2020 summit and you can click there and it has tons of event details. So you can make your decision. 
No doubt. That is time and money well spent. So you sent us some pre-podcast notes. And just like I love your presentation style, I also like your writing style. So I'm going to try to, I don't want to say guess, I'm going to try to decipher your notes and try to identify what the third step of this process is. And you can tell me as... one that is indicated by the term pillar three. Correct. Now, I've identified (laughs) pillar three, but I'm trying to understand the content of that. Feel free, as Emily's very good at, tell me if I'm wrong. You're wrong. (laughs) So is step three uh, really developing, advancing the marketing materials that you have as well as sort of regularizing, if I can make up a word, you can coin that. Again, that was regularizing. That was uh, really good on the box of laxative. (laughs) (laughs) You could use that as like a marketing term, and you could probably trademark that. So somebody, if you're listening, you need to trademark this quickly. Hey, so my forehead is now sweating, which means we've reached peak humor. (laughs) So am I correct that pillar slash step three is about, again, regularizing <laughs> your marketing. It really is, Andrew. I'm glad you brought that <laughs> I contribute anyway. so much to this podcast. So uh, the problem is you go out, you try to find these decision makers, you physically get in front of them, maybe you get a sales opportunity early, maybe you don't. But then you've got this name, or everyone that networks in painting has this weird drawer where they've got tons of business cards, people they intend to contact or communicate with, but they never do. So putting them on a digital and a mailed newsletter list is the easiest thing in the world to do because if you send it to one person, it's the same as sending it to a thousand. However, cautionary tale, it doesn't need to be about paint. It needs to have nothing to do with painting because people that are not painters do not read about painting stuff. I mean, like if you look at the checkout area when you're going to the grocery store, nothing there about how to stain your deck, nothing there about how to roll your walls or to paint your office because nobody cares about it until they actually need it. So we have a content mix that is more helpful and focused and about you as a person, tips around the office. We recognize clients, things like that. But without that steady drumbeat of communication to them, they forget who you are. And we'll talk about in pillar number four how you need to do personal outreach. But even then, often, especially solopreneurs, will drop the ball. And at least you know that there will always be you know, 24 points of contact a year, even if for some reason you go a quarter or a month without really doing your job, personal outreach. What is the cadence of that, would you say, for the marketing portion? Are you sending them a weekly newsletter, a monthly newsletter? How often do you reach Mon- out to them? Yeah, we do. We do monthly. Weekly's a little bit too much from a painter. And while people will unsubscribe from your email, and while email is getting less and less effective as the medium gets more and more choked, that's why text messaging is taking the place of that. Many of our guys deliver their newsletters by text. I don't teach it a lot because it's a little bit advanced and most people don't get around to it, aren't familiar enough with it. But monthly. So you mail the thing, immediately email it. The beauty of U.S. mail is people get very little mail at their office, the folks that you would be targeting versus emails. And number two, uh, it makes more of an impression because our guys constantly give me feedback about mailed newsletters. I'm so glad that APC Magazine still delivers a mailed copy of the magazine. People read long-form content differently than they do emails, and it's easier to process. And they never unsubscribe from mail. So pillar four is personal calendar communication. If you look at organizations like SurfPro, and pharmaceutical sales, manufacturer sales reps, etc. I mean, their job is to get in the car and to mm. personally communicate with a small list of people. They don't have a Dream 100. They probably have like a Dream 400 because it's exclusively what they spend their time on. And you need to be reaching out by email, 
phone calls, drop-bys, networking. And we have a thing called the Commercial Prospecting Points Program. We have our guys run kind of like Richard Simmons' old deal mill Andrew, if you can think back that far. I know you're getting excited about this. At any rate, some things get a certain amount of points, and some things that are less persuasive get a lower amount of points. Like sending an email is just not that persuasive. Dropping by an office and physically seeing somebody, big deal. Setting an appointment and sitting with somebody with 15 to 20 minutes, big deal. So as long as you are doing, in addition to your newsletter, that type of personal outreach stuff, and you set your goal based upon how far and how fast you want to get with this, obviously the more communication and the better communication, the more people, the more likely you uh, increase your odds of landing a large project. And personal outreach is essential. And the question I would always ask people as we close out this point is – If you had hired yourself to be a major account sales rep for commercial for your company, you looked at the past 30 days, 90 days at your activity, would you fire yourself? And if the answer is yes, then you're probably not doing a good job at personal outreach, and you need to calendar that time in advance and protect it and time block it so that it actually happens. Okay, so how much time do you need to be blocking out for yourself on, say, a monthly basis for personal outreach? In most cases, I have discovered in helping owners manage their time better, if you don't set aside four hours to get something done, nothing's going to happen. I mean, we really work best focused on one project or action item in larger blocks of time. Switch multitasking is a bunch of bullcrap, doesn't work. Switch tasking, you just lose all types of efficiency. And anything that really requires your brain to be engaged, specifically something that people are not inclined to want to do, In some cases, cold calling, reaching out to people that have heretofore been unresponsive, that takes a lot of mental horsepower. It takes commitment. A lot of our guys have accountability partners for getting their calls in, just like a real estate agent would, because that's where the money is. If you have a penchant for it and you're good at it, you'll probably do better. But I've watched people that, for lack of a better word, hate it, are in almost what I would consider inept at it, but they have stuck with it. And now... 60-70% of their business is commercial repaints, and these are not folks in urban areas. They're in what I'd refer to as suburban or even rural areas, and there's all kinds of pain out there in those types of environments, but you need to put probably aside, I mean, minimum would be four hours a month, but the more you, or four hours a month, uh, but the more progress you want, the more time you need to put on the calendar. Just like if you were trying to lose 40 pounds, well, how much time should I spend working out? Well, how much weight do you want to lose? When do you want to lose it by? And so it's kind of one of those situations is the time put in is directly tied to the goal and the deadlines you set. Okay, final step. Let's bring it home. Pigs in the pen. What is the final step, Brandon? So the final step is probably where people would like to start and end, which <laughs> is inbound commercial leads. It's can I hand somebody a credit card and let them fix my business, which is what most people want to do. And You need to create a commercial-specific website. If you have one that's been residential that's not pulling very well, I would recommend that. We've had great results doing that in our digital services side. But the authority, the messaging, and the third-party clues and cues, images, proof, need to be aligned with that market. And often going after domains that are specific to commercial that have nothing to do with your company will help you a lot better in search. One thing I will say is that physical location is important for the three-pack. If you're in a suburban area, as many painters are, and if you decide you want to go after downtown Chicago or Tampa or wherever you happen to be, and you're not there, physically there, 
you're going to be able to get in the SERP search below the three-pack, but you're not going to get in the three-pack because it is heavily correlated with locale. And just like if you look for a barbershop, if you're in downtown Tampa, it's not going to show you something the next county over or 20 miles from you. It's going to show you what's near. And so often you might have to domicile a location or begin servicing clients out of a specific area in a legitimate way for commercial. But going after that, those long tail keywords with lots of good content that are optimized on pages or blogs really helps find the inbound from local searches and also outside areas that are managing properties. I mean, there's so many multi-state companies out there. What we're probably most familiar with are retailers or service areas. And when they need to paint a strip mall or their client owns property in a different state, whatever the case may be, they start conducting these searches. And while the volume isn't very high on these searches, the quality and the value of the leads are very high. And so often building that type of real estate is important. Although in closing, what I will say is pillar number five is neat. You need to do it. It rounds everything out. But if you want to go to zero to 60, it's the least important thing. It is supplementary. It is not a replacement for any of these things. And I would not hang my hat exclusively on that. You'll get a few every year, but it's not going to knock your socks off. It's still old school major account selling. And if you really want to get into that market, that's what you need to do. Nice. So you've guided contractors through this process before. Would you say all five steps are sort of equally challenging or do contractors tend to bottle up in one step versus another? Once you get a good sales process down in residential and you're using it, it's not a big switch. Once you get that established, pillar two, a powerful persuasive sales process, probably the easiest. Getting the newsletter out, probably pretty easy once you get in a habit of doing it and you realize that all the money comes from people, not projects, and you got to communicate with those people. The two things that people probably struggle with the most are probably number one, it the first part, a multi-step, multimedia campaign where you're identifying decision makers because we run up against roadblocks. Well, I called somebody and they wouldn't give me a name. Well, it's hard to figure out who the person is. Well, I called them and they don't want to see me. Well, no crap. This is called sales. People, you don't jump out. I mean, I always ask when somebody calls you to try to sell you something, are you like excited? Do you stop everything you're doing to try to buy from them? Of course you don't. You're an interruption. And so you're going to meet with resistance. And then finally, that personal outreach that is calendared and consistent. Pillar number four, that's probably the second most challenging because in a way, not only is it not exciting because you've called on this person seven or eight times and they're finally going to give you an appointment. It's like everything else that's challenging in your life. Learning to play a musical instrument, getting in shape, building a relationship. It's lots of work and you get great long-term rewards for it, but it's not immediate. And people want that immediate gratification and seldom does that happen in commercial repaints. And I think that is one reason so few owners have been able to successfully build a business out of it because they're just not willing to do the work to do it or they don't even know where to start. Way to deliver the goods, Brandon. Man. Well, that's what I'm here for. Heck yeah. Again, that's Brandon Lewis. You can check out his website, his company at paintersacademy.com. And as we talked about, his summit is going on in Fort Myers, Florida at the end of January. And if you miss him there... Or actually, if you see him there, you're going to want to see him again. And luckily, you have the chance to see him at the PDCA Expo. I'm sorry, PCA. There's no longer a D in PDCA. It's just PCA, Emily. I know. You probably knew that. Yes. I think they should drop the C and A and just call it P. (laughs) Write that down. (laughs) 
We'll post that. Michael, we'll post that on Facebook to see if anybody salutes on the flagpole. If you want to learn more about Brandon's presentation, which is a variation of what you just heard, again, he'll be at the PDCA, PCA Expo in Phoenix late February. Go to PCAPainted.org to find more out about that. If you want to learn more about us, especially me, we got a new page all about Emily on the Paint Mag website. I'm joking. She refuses to do that. We're going to get there, Emily. It's going to happen. We'll see. Quit fighting. <laughs> but our yes. website is paintmag.com. So many resources there. Brandon, you're a gentleman and a scholar, and we appreciate it. I hope you can avoid Mannheim Steamroller and Trans-Siberian Orchestra throughout the holidays, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful break. Well, I appreciate it, buddy. I hope you all have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And if uh, I can ever do anything for you, I'm just, I'll be sitting uh, by myself this Christmas. So uh, you know, give, me a, give me a call, mail me a card. I'm lonely. Aww. I'm very lonely. We'll FaceTime. We'll have to <laughs> dice this up into a commercial and uh, instead of like Sarah McLaughlin singing about puppies, we'll say, everyone help out Brandon. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But see, I, a lot of people tell me I'm sweet. A lot of people. That's sort of the go-to adjective for me. But again, everybody, thanks for listening to Paint Radio. Hope you have a tremendous holiday. Check out paintmag.com. We're here to help. Keep up the good work. See you next time.